everyone. Pastor Tim here. Thank you very much for joining us. I got a couple quick announcements and then we'll get into the message this morning. The first thing I want to let you know is that we're still doing the renovations. They're exempt under the, under the stay-at-home order. Uh, so they'll be in and out the next couple weeks. We're still trying to target being ready for Easter Sunday morning, uh, but there's so many different things happening. We're just going to have to play that by ear and be flexible on that date, as well as flexible with the rest of the renovations. Uh, secondly, now is a great time to go through all your closets and all those little nooks and crannies in your house. And if you can find good used shoes that we can donate to the Zambia mission trip, that would be fantastic. Uh, we're going forward and planning it just as if it was going to be happening. Uh, so save your shoes, and then when we get back together again, you can bring those shoes in. And lastly, uh, we are still paying all of our expenses to our missionaries and all of our other uh, responsibilities as a church. So thank you very much for those people who have still been able to tithe during this very difficult time. Uh, we really appreciate the ingenuity that you've put into place in order to get us those tithes. Thank you so very much. We're going to open in a word of prayer. Our gracious Father, thank you so much for uh, the time that our kids have been encouraged with Pastor Preston this morning and the time that Livy and Jaira just amazed us with heartfelt worship. I pray, Father, that we would get into the mood of meeting with you, that we would take all the cares and concerns of this world, which are real, and we would just put them aside for this moment, realizing that we are before your holy throne, realizing that you have us in your hands, acknowledging that you are the Prince of Peace, so give us that peace, give us that rest and that understanding that we might be champions of the faith, both in our homes and in the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're continuing our series on Lent with that focus on recognizing Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on behalf of all of our sins. And... It is good to have a time of reflection upon these things. It helps us remember the great, incredible cost that Jesus went through to make us right with God. Now, when we make a bold statement like this, that we're here to reflect upon the suffering of Jesus on our behalf, I've always been trained and I've always thought it has to mean something. It's great to have that biblical truth. It is absolute. It is, it is real. It is meaningful. But I think it's good for us once in a while to sit back and ask the question, so what? Here's the truth. What does it mean to me? What effect does it have in my life? Because God gives us stories and truth and reveals himself for a reason. And that reason is not to get stuck in our head. It's not to simply have knowledge. It's to live that knowledge out. So if Jesus Christ suffered on our behalf, and we're thinking about that, focusing on that, and remembering it, it should have a result in our life. There should be something that happens because of that truth. And that's what we want to look at today. So what does all the suffering and pain that Jesus endured really mean to us? How does it make us live differently? And I think to see that in full display, we turn to the book of Philippians and the first chapter. 
So if you have your Bibles or if you have your YouVersion Bible app, which has all the notes on it, including the digging deeper questions for your devotional time during the week, turn to that YouVersion Bible app, Philippians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 27. And I'm going to read through this section of scripture first, and then we're going to go back and look at the verses kind of individually and see how it applies to us on how do I think about the suffering of Christ and live it out in my life. What effect does it have? What application does that have in my life? So starting in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, and I'm going to read through Philippians chapter 2, verse 11. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whenever I come and see you, or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the Spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you the interests of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. What a wonderful text. It has so many different facets of God's character and the work of Christ and how we share, not in his work, but the accomplishment of his work. And so we are able to answer the question, so what does the suffering of Christ have to do with us through this very text. And it starts out in the very first two verses there, verse 27 and 28 of Philippians 1, where Paul says, whatever happens, he's talking to the church at Philippi, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What a tall order that is, Paul, that no matter what my circumstances are, no matter what I'm going through, my goal, the effect of faith in me is to live it out in such a way that 
I live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In order to do that, we need his Holy Spirit. In order to do that, we need communion with God. We need daily communion with him. We need devotional time. We need time where we are thinking about him. We need time where we are praising him, where we are praying to him. We need moment by moment to be guided if our entire life is to reflect the gospel. What a tall order. He then says, Then whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit. So he basically says, it doesn't matter if I'm with you or not with you. I'm going to find out. I'm going to know through other reports how well you're doing in living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And you see, our living the gospel of Christ is not just a group activity. It's a single activity, too. When we are alone, when we are by ourselves in our own thoughts and our own thinking, still at that moment, I'm supposed to live the Christian life to the fullest in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now, you see, that's very easy to accomplish when you're in a church. When you get together and everyone is there on a Sunday morning and everyone has that smile on, everyone is dressed up and everyone is ready to go worship God and they raise their hands, they're full of smiles, they close their eyes and they praise God. It's very easy to give that display when other people are around you. But when you are absent from everybody else, when it's just you and God alone, I think that's where Paul is hinting at. Still, God is watching. And still, God sees it. And still, at that moment of the quietness of your own mind, you have to live in a worthy of the gospel. Even if no one else is looking, even if no one else saw you help that person in need, even though no one else knows what you've done, God knows it. And we still have a responsibility to live as if everyone was watching us live out the gospel message. He then moves in and shows what that gospel living looks like what it looks like to have that union with Christ in verse 28. He says, We strive together with the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. So there is this sense in which I live out the gospel. I demonstrate the suffering of Christ. I demonstrate his humility. I demonstrate his service and sacrifice regardless if anyone is watching. But I also know that there are people that are going to oppose that way of living. They're going to oppose the truth. It's, they're okay if you say there's a God, but when you say that there is a triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they require of you obedience, servitude, bowing down before them and confessing them before the nations, all of a sudden, they're not okay with that. Because the message of the gospel is exclusive. It is about sin. It is about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And it is about the free giving of that salvation through faith. And people don't like to hear about their sins. They don't like to hear about being humble. They don't like to hear about serving others selfishly. And so that message of the gospel comes under attack. But we're to live in a way that is not frightened when people oppose you. 
And this is a sign that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. So that opposition demonstrates a true fruitfulness in your life. When they ridicule you, when they make fun of you, when they defriend you because, or defriend you because you're talking about Christianity and encouragement through Facebook or Instagram and they reject you because of that, that's a sign and a demonstration that God is at work in your life and God is at work in their life. Hardening their heart, maybe softening it, maybe giving opportunities for seeds to plant. He also says in verse 29, moving forward on this, that life and suffering are both gifts. He says, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, which is a beautiful thing. So Paul starts out by giving us this amazing, truthful moment. It's been granted by God that you believe in Christ and you have that unity with him, that fellowship with him. And if Paul had stopped right there, a lot of people would be happy. But Paul continues and says not only is salvation a gift, that relationship with God, a beautiful gift, but also suffering is a gift. We don't often look at suffering as a gift. We don't see suffering as a gift at all. We see it as an inconvenience. We see it as a pain. We see it as sometimes a mistake. Now, the church at Philippi met Paul before. Paul was a missionary to the church in Philippi, which is in Asia Minor. And in Acts chapter 15 and 16, and we're not going to read that, but it's a story of Paul in Philippi. And he gets to the city and he's preaching and he's evangelizing and people are being saved and culture is being changed. Sorcery and witchcraft is being changed and the businesses start losing money because Paul is bringing conversions. And so they end up throwing him in jail. All he's doing is pronouncing the gospel. He's living out his faith in front of others and he's declaring the free salvation that Jesus Christ alone offers and he gets thrown in prison. And you remember the rest of that story. It's Paul and Silas at night. They're in the uh, Philippi prison and they're praising God. They're singing. They're, they're offering him worship. And immediately the jailhouse gets rocked. Uh, the doors open and the jailer comes in and he is terrified, terrified at what has happened and feels like he has to take his own life because in Roman culture, if your prisoners escaped, you paid with your life. And Paul comforted him with the words of the gospel, went back to his house, and the Philippian jailer and his whole household believed. So even in that moment of suffering, the real suffering in prison, Paul found reason to be hopeful because he knew God had him there for a reason. He didn't know why, but as the events unfolded, he saw, now I know that in this moment of suffering, God appointed it for me so that something miraculous might happen. Now, we may not always see how suffering can bring about blessing or how suffering can be considered a gift. That's where faith steps in. That's where we believe, even though we may not see exactly what's going on. 
He continues in verse 30 to talk about that struggle. He goes, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. That struggle of being oppressed, that struggle of being put into prison, that struggle of being ridiculed and isolated from others because of your faith. Have you seen that happen in your own life? Have you lived your life in a manner that's worthy of the gospel in such a way that people distance themselves, not because of your personality, but because of the gospel? Because you have an encouraging word, because you have the truth, because you invite them to church, because you tell them about Jesus. That's one of the fruits of a life that is lived in such a way that takes the suffering of Christ and makes it real and makes it noticeable to the world around us. It's that struggle of being oppressed, the struggle of being martyred for some. He then jumps into chapter 2, the very first verse, and talks about joy on the heels of sharing salvation and suffering. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, here's that application, here's that so what question being answered. If you have any encouragement from, from being united in Christ, both in his work and his suffering, his death and his resurrection, the wholeness of what Christ has done, if any comfort from his love, wow, we get comfort from his love. If any common sharing in the spirit, that that's what binds us together. That's what makes us one body. Even if we're separated physically, his church is still one body with him as the head and all of us as different unique parts fulfilling our roles no matter where we are or when we are. So if we have any encouragement from being with Christ, any encouragement with his love, any encouragement of sharing the same spirit, any tenderness, any compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the Spirit, and of one mind. Now, the verse does not mean we are identical. And everything that I think, you have to think, and everything you think, I have to think, and we have to have the same opinions about everything. Paul is talking about in the grand body of Christ, there's unity. We share the same love for Jesus, and Jesus shares the same love for you that he has for me. It's the same love, same tenderness, same spirit, same unity. The same death he paid on the cross for you, he paid for me. It is uniquely a Christian experience. And Paul says, be of that same mind. Live out those same principles that we all have in common through Christ. Let that be the focus. Let that be the main thing that you present to the world as you live in a way that's worthy of the gospel. He then continues in verse 3 and puts more of a, a negative slant on it. So these are the things we are to do. Be encouraged by unity in Christ. Be encouraged by his love. Be encouraged by the unity we have in his spirit. Be encouraged by tenderness. And then he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So when I live out the gospel in my life, I do it in such a way, whether I'm surrounded by people or I'm by myself, in a way that demonstrates I care.
care about others more than myself. That's a real example of love. How do I care about others more than I care about myself? It's remembering how much Jesus cared about you and I more than himself. And Paul gets to that at the very next section of verses. He says, don't look out for your own interests, but of those interests of the others. What a perfect time God has given us at this moment in history, while we are all somewhat physically isolated from each other, to remember I have a responsibility to put others first and to meet the needs of others. If there's anyone out there that's struggling with loneliness, that's struggling with the basic necessities of life, food and water, reach out to one another. If the Lord puts someone on your mind saying, I wonder how they're doing, call them. That is you putting others in front of yourself. So you can practice this even in this kind of isolation we have at the moment. You can practice putting others in front of yourself. And then he shares with us, and we're just going to go through this in one kind of big chunk, verse 5 through verse 11, how Jesus put you in front of himself, how he loved you more than he loved himself, how he met your needs before his needs were met. And this is a beautiful, well-known passage of Scripture. He says, in your relationships with one another, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Sorry, I have to keep getting a little drink here. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider it equality with God something to use to his advantage. He is fully God and fully man. And he didn't take that rightful place of power and authority and say, I'm going to use it over others. He says, I'm going to submit to the Father. I don't have to prove myself by position. I don't have to use my title. But what I can do is I can serve under the leadership and headship of God the Father. And in such a way, show others my people that I've loved and redeemed, I can show them what it looks like not to make yourself number one in front of others. He says, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. That was quite a humbling experience for Jesus. We don't know any other experience. All we know is what it's like to be human. And that's our experience. We can look at the rest of the world and say, well, I wonder what it's like to be a dog. I wonder what it's like to be a tree, a rock. But we don't have that experience. But we have the experience of being human. Jesus, at the moment of his conception, then experienced what it was like to be human. And while humanity is a crowning jewel of God's creation, compared to God, we're very limited. We're only at one place at one time. We have a limited lifespan. We have limited abilities. You can't do anything you want. As much as I want to fly, as much as I want to be able to um, maybe walk through walls, be invisible, who knows? 
any of those superpowers, as much as I want it, I can't do it. I'm limited because of my humanity. Jesus is unlimited as God. He can do anything that is according to his nature. But he said, in order to redeem this people, I'm going to show them what it's like to be a true servant of servants. I'm going to show them what real humility looks like. And I'm going to be born flesh and blood. And so he was subject for the very first time in his life of having to eat food. He was subject for the very first time to take a breath and be dependent upon oxygen filling his lungs and blood coursing through his veins and a mind with synapses going off to think. In order to get from here to there, he had to walk before he was everywhere present at all times in his fullness. Yes, that was humbling for him. And he says in verse 8, And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So it wasn't just his experience of being made human and living a life as a human. It wasn't just having to go through being tired, being worn out, being hungry, being thirsty. He had to be obedient to the very end. God the Father at the very beginning of time said, in order to redeem my people, there's going to be a sacrifice, a substitute. You're not going to sacrifice yourself. He's going to send his son to be a sacrifice for us, the Lamb of God, the one who would take away our sin. And the only way that that could happen is if he died. And so Jesus, to the very last physical breath he had, was in a constant state of humility. Because you know at any moment, he said in the Garden of Gethsemane, I could command legions of angels to come to my defense. All he had to do was snap his finger and it would all be gone. He'd be off the cross. He wouldn't have to endure that shame and humiliation. He could make it to where he was not martyred. But he didn't. His humility and his love for you was so committed that he went to the cross and died. And there is a beautiful benefit, blessing, that happens from that. Verse 9, 10, and 11, Therefore God exalted him to a place and gave him a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His humility and sacrificial love on your behalf was so pleasing to God, so amazingly complete in what God wanted to accomplish through His Son, that His Son became King of kings and Lord of lords. And all of heaven and earth all of creation will one day acknowledge his lordship, acknowledge his greatness. Even those who want nothing to do with Jesus, even those who are far from God, who strive in this life to live for themselves, by themselves, to their own glory, who refuse to be humble before God, who refuse to repent of their sins, even those who deny that there is a God, there will be a day of reckoning where everyone, will bow that knee 
either as a humble servant, part of the family of God, out of sheer gratitude for what Jesus has done for us, or it'll be out of sure dominion that God is God and man is not, and that man will have to be bowed before Jesus Christ. One day, all of creation will be humbled for, before Jesus as our creator and our savior. Something to take home, but you're already home, so something to just take to heart. You see that our relationship with Jesus is not just a spiritual thing. It's not just about thinking good thoughts about God. It's not just about having knowledge and understanding. It's really about a physical, active, reactionary, noticeable, obedient, joyous, ultimate, victorious type of living. And while it may be challenging today, There'll be a day when we can all be united again and we can flesh this out. And there is opportunity even for you today and this next week to flesh out that sacrificial love that Jesus had for us. And we can share both in his suffering and we've been promised that we'll share in his glory one day. And that is enough to keep us going until the next time Jesus says, live this in your life. Let's close in prayer. Our gracious Father, we humbly come before you asking you to relieve us from some of the suffering that we share. It's hard, Father, not to be with one another. It's hard not to have that routine and consistency. Father, give us all patience with one another. Give us all understanding. And Father, may we live out our faith in a way that the world sees and recognizes. Not out of fear, but out of love. And surround us, Father, with your tenderness. Surround us with that compassion. Remind us daily of the love that Jesus and you have for us. Help us, Father, to love like he did. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. 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 Finally, someone said it. See, we know if you're saying it or not, because no one here in my house said it. We will see you next week for another live service, probably the same format that we had today. And remember, throughout the week, I may have some live updates for you about life at Calvary, but also make sure you turn in, tune in to Great Thoughts, Great Living, which will happen every day. Take care and God bless. Talk to you next time.